We've had uh, an interesting week, haven't we? Kind of get that feeling, honestly, early on in the service. Kind of felt that way. I'm sure, I don't know how you were impacted by all the storms, but we know that many families in our area were, and uh, some greatly impacted. Others, maybe of you, have been watching your sump pump every day, hoping it would continue to run and work, putting fans down, uh, whatever it may be, but it caused for a busy week, doesn't it? And now we find ourselves here this morning, hopefully worshiping together, honoring the Lord together. That's our goal, what we want to do. We find ourselves in a, in a busy time of life right now, at least my family does. The start of school season is always, uh, I'm not going to water it down, it's horrible, I hate it. Uh, some of you enjoy when your kids, you get to kick them out the door and say, get out of here. Uh, but my wife being a teacher adds some stress, uh, needless to say, in our, in our house during the school year. And life is busy. I'm sure there's other of you facing that uh, as well. We get caught up in the hecticness uh, of life. And we all face that at different times and different seasons of life, just the, uh, how, how busy it can be, how, how stressful it can be. And what happens during those times, a lot of times, is we get uh, centrally focused on us here, don't we? It becomes easy for us to, to do that, where we just start to think of, of self and our little area and our little town of whatever it may be. And I think at times we forget that there is much more to this life and to this world than just us here in this, in this spot. You see, this, this week we've had a lot happen in Monroe County, as I, as I said, but we're just one small little area. That's always fascinated me, thinking about the vastness of creation. And it, it fascinates me, though, only at certain times, it seems. When I, when I travel, it seems to come to my head. Uh, when I fly in an airplane, it seems to come to my head. But then also, when we experience like we did this week, when somebody down the road has something pretty bad happened to their house, but then you see mine and there's nothing wrong at mine. It's like, man, just a matter of miles or even less. Uh, it could have been me, right, who had that limb fall and smash the house or whatever, whatever it may be. As we approach our psalm this morning in Psalm 8, David comes and starts to think of the vastness of creation, and it causes him to ask some, some questions I don't know if you've ever done this before. I hope that you have. I hope you had this opportunity to do this. But to go outside when it's dark, to lay down on the ground, and to look up on a clear night, and to see the stars. It's an interesting thing to do. Some of you, maybe you haven't done that since you were a, ch a child. It's been 60 years for some of you, maybe, since you've thought about doing that. Uh, but it's always an interesting thing to do, to lay down and to just look, because you start to realize how small you really are. And it does cause us to ask some questions like, what is all of this? What is all of this creation? What is, what is the purpose of everything that is happening and that is going on? Or even me and why I'm here? See, this is a common thing for mankind to do. It's been happening ever since mankind was created. People have asked this question. They've, they've wondered, what is all of this. We know that our science community tries to answer this question and to figure it out the best that they 
the best that they can. And for the most part, they do a very good job uh, trying to figure out the world and how it functions and how it works. And one thing that we've learned with science is that creation is pretty complex. (laughs) The way that everything works together and functions together and how specific things need to be in order for it to work together, our existence is complicated and extremely complex. The way that everything works together is nearly impossible, yet we see it being made possible every single day. Now sadly, there are many who've concluded that all of us and everything in it, in this world, this universe, is accidental. That it's just by chance. But in our psalm today, David recognizes the vastness of everything. He asks these questions, but he also recognizes how all this came to be, and also what the point is of all of it. So I want us to read this psalm together this morning. Psalm 8 is where we'll be. I want us to read it together, understanding David and his situation and while he wrote it, but also I hope in the end, understanding, as we've done in all the psalms, that it is Christ who fulfills it. It's Christ who fulfills this psalm, and it actually is Christ that this psalm is talking about. And so we'll see that. So look at Psalm 8, a common psalm, probably one you've heard. I'm sure a song will come to your head at some point as we read through this that you've heard before. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 really is a great psalm. And as we see, David starts the psalm and he ends the psalm the, the same way. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And he recognizes the majesty of God here as we read this together. And he, he does this so in an interesting way. He states, O Lord, our Lord. Again, this is a song that we uh, sing at times, and I'm sure this came to your mind. But you wonder why he would write it that way. O Lord, our Lord. You see, in the Hebrew, this is actually, it says, uh, Yahweh, our Sovereign. And so it's the name that God had ascribed to himself, that is the first Lord that we see here. But then the next Lord is recognizing God to be the sovereign one, the ruler, right? The, the, the one with the, with the plan, the one in, in control of all things. That is, that is what David is saying here. He's recognizing, again, God first is the name God gave himself when Moses had asked. The name that could not be uttered, the name that Israel wouldn't even say, the God of all. But then... David also recognized him, yes, you're that God, but you're also the ruler of all, over all things. It's an interesting thing to see the king of Israel ascribing majesty to somebody else because he would have been his majesty to everybody else. Everybody would have bowed before David, ascribed majesty to David, but yet we see David recognizing that majesty is to be given to 
to God, the true ruler. While David oversaw all the land and all of nation Israel, he had to have understood that most of that was out of his control completely. He would like to think that he was in control. But he knew that he couldn't be in complete control, that there was only one who was in complete control. And this is who he writes this psalm to. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And he he goes on to talk about his majesty in verse 2. Or at the end there, saying, you have, in verse 1, I'm sorry, you have set your glory above the heavens. David recognizes here that the glory of God, when speaking of the glory of God, it simply cannot be contained in space or in time. Again, I talked about the vastness of the universe. I don't know if you get into that sort of stuff, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But it seems to be a pretty big place. And what David is saying here is he's saying the glory of God cannot be contained anywhere. In fact, it has to be above the heavens. It's so great, it's, it's, it's beyond the heavens. And, and a little later after, after David, his son, King Solomon, would realize this because Solomon would build the temple of God and say this is where God will abide. But even, even Solomon himself, as he's getting ready to uh, dedicate the temple in Second Chronicles 6.18, Solomon asks this question, he says, But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Right, trying, to, trying to understand the glory of God. Even Solomon would say, there's nothing that can contain the glory of God. Nothing. And so as David talks about the majesty of God and how majestic God is, all David can mutter is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Now in declaring his majesty, David says there's an interesting way that God does this because in verse 2, He says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. So so our majestic God that we've gathered here to worship today, the way that he describes his, or lets us hear about his majesty, he says it's out of the mouths of infants and out of babies. Now this doesn't make sense, right? We would say God should call the mightiest of men the most spectacular of, of creation should, should declare the glory of God. And that, that is what's going to catch everybody's eye. But yet David says, no, it's out of the mouths of infants and out of, out of babies that his strength will be established. Now, I don't know about you, but the last thing I think about when I see a baby is, is strength. In fact, they seem to be extremely weak in all instances. They seem to be very fragile. Have you ever seen a guy for the first time hold a baby? It's so awkward. He's afraid he's just going to snap it in half for some reason, right? I hear a lot of dads uh, use this excuse for not changing diapers, which is lame. You should do that, dad. I don't know what I'm doing. Figure it out, right? But there's this fear that we're just going to break this baby, but yet David said it's out of the mouths of babies and infants that the Lord establishes his strength and crushes the enemy And the avenger. This is such an odd way to declare greatness. Yet, God is so great that he turns things upside down. He says, it is this that I use. The weakest of all creation declares the majesty of our Lord. Well, as we get to verses 3 and 4, David says, and this is, you can picture this because you can picture the shepherd David. Not King David, but you can picture the shepherd David and the nights that he spent out in the field with the sheep. Right? And he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? 
So again, picturing David out there and he's, he's seeing the same stars that you and I see today. The same moon. He's looking at the vastness of it. And the question that comes to David's head is, what is man that you are mindful of him? Now notice he doesn't ask the question, what is man? That's not the question here. The question isn't what is man. The question is, why do you care about him? What is man that you would even think about us? That you would even care about us? As I said earlier, I'm sure some of you get into the whole thing about the universe and how big it is. You've heard about the size. Billions upon billions of miles. Light years they speak of. Right? All of this. And then you have Earth. You have our planet, which to us seems very big, but as telescopes and all these different things and satellites go out and we get to see pictures of Earth, you realize it's pretty small compared to everything else. It's very small. And when you get back to like other galaxies and all this, Earth can't even be, be seen. And then you realize, but there's me, this little speck on this little speck. And so you think about how big everything is and when you start to put all of that into your mind, the question does come, why would God care about me? All this other stuff going on. Making sure that universe is working, that galaxies are functioning, that stars are producing, all these things that need to happen and take place. What is man that you are mindful of him? Uh, this question has led some people to not believe in God at all because they would say, the answer is he wouldn't that we get the privilege of enjoying. Again, he didn't have to do that. Every day could be the same every day. The exact same thing we eat every day, the exact same day every day. God could have done that and life would have went on, but he didn't do that. In his creativity, he created seasons and we get to enjoy that. Or why did God give us different oceans and different types of water? Or you could go on. Why are there different plants? Some of you, if I go to your house, you have I don't really like you people. You have beautiful yards. You have beautiful flower beds. There's not, I can't remember, me and Amanda were somewhere recently, and I'm like, look at that. There's not a single weed in this flower bed. I said, how do they do that? That is amazing. I spray chemicals. I, I pick weeds. I use a blowtorch to kill weeds. I do everything, and they're always there. But yet there's these people who are so good, and it just looks so Beautiful. And what do you guys do? You guys don't put the same flower all over the place, do you? No, you do multiple types of flowers. Multiple types of plants. Now, do you know why we have multiple types of flowers and plants? It's because God has been kind to us to have it. And we get the beauty of roses and tulips and daffodils and lilies. We get to enjoy all of these things. Why? Because God was kind to us to give that to us here in this creation. He did not have to do that. But he did. And it's beautiful, and a lot of them have purposes that help us. We could go on and on about these different things. But I hope that all of this helps us to see the great love that God has towards us, that he made all of this for us to enjoy, and yes, to take care of, but to enjoy. It's because he loves us and he cares for us. It says in Genesis, and we, David reiterates this here in, in Psalm 8, he has made us as mankind the ones to have dominion over this creation. It is for us because he loves us and because he cares for us. Then as I said, as we get to verse nine, David ends this psalm the same way he started this psalm. 
speaking of the majesty of God, recognizing God's majesty, knowing that God's name alone deserves to be praised in all of the earth. I don't know if you realize it, but this morning, as the church, we are the only ones who gather together to do what man has been created for. Our lost family members, our lost friends, they don't do what they're created for. Today, you and I have gathered in this room to do what we've been created for, and that is to worship our Creator. Our Creator who's given us all of this to enjoy. Now you say, well, creation isn't always beautiful rainbows and sunshine. I know that. Uh, We have a problem, don't we? And we're going to get to that in a second with seeing how Christ fulfills this. But God has been very good to us. And sadly, most of his creation of mankind never fulfills their purpose in life because they will never worship him. They will never give him the glory he's due. But for you and I, that's a different story. We have the privilege week in and week out to gather together as a church to sing songs to him, to to praise him, to declare as David does here, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You see, we're so quick to almost ascribe majesty to athletes and to actors and to politicians and to rich people in general, it seems. They don't deserve that. God deserves that. God deserves praise. And nobody else is going to do it. We as the church must be willing to do that, to to praise his name. Now, the reason that we can do this is because Christ has fulfilled this psalm for us, as I mentioned earlier. It is because of Jesus alone that we are able to worship God appropriately. That's why I had Pastor Spencer read Psalm 15 there. I don't know what you think as we read these passages, but they are picked for a purpose. I wanted you to hear, as Pastor Spencer read Psalm 15, what I wanted you to hear was, I'm in trouble. That's what I wanted you to realize as we read Psalm 15. Who can, like, who can dwell with God? As you start reading line by line, you realize, not me. I can't. I didn't fulfill any of that this week. Some of you pumped water from your house to your neighbor's house purposefully. And it said, don't do anything bad to your neighbor. You just didn't want it in your yard, so you made sure you were pumping it. Oh, that's the only place I can go. I guess I'm going to shove it in their yard. So you're out. I can't be with God. Well, then how can we gather together and worship him? How can we declare that we are the children of God? Well, we can do that because of Christ. You see, Psalm 8 is quoted in the New Testament, actually, (laughs) multiple times. I, I would ask you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 21, because Jesus himself ascribes this psalm to himself here in Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17. In Matthew 21, beginning in verse 12, it says, And Jesus entered the temple. He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. 
Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. See, we read that in that psalm, didn't we, in Psalm 8. And here, Jesus ascribes this psalm to himself. Have you not read that out of the mouths of infants and babies will come the praise? See, you would think that when the Messiah would come, he would have got the Pharisees to shout his praise. You would think that the Messiah would have gathered the best of the religious world to be on his side, the, the ones with the most influence and the, and the most power. Let's get those in charge of Israel, but maybe even let's get into Rome. Well, let's, let's get into Rome and have those leaders knowing who the Messiah is, and it is out of their mouths that will declare who he is. And that's how God is going to turn things upside down. That is how Satan will be defeated, finally. But no, as the religious elite are upset because, do you not hear what these children are saying? Won't you shut them up? Won't you make them be quiet? David reminds them, have you not read? I wonder what that felt like for the Pharisee. Have you not read? And then he quotes it and they think, that's Psalm 8. (laughs) Yeah, I've read that. I have that memorized. I sing that. He's, He's actually correct that that is what it says but I'm sure they had to think of some way to get around it, no doubt. But here we see in Matthew, Jesus clearly ascribing this psalm to himself. Jesus wasn't alone in ascribing this psalm to himself. Paul does it as well. He does it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a very important chapter in the Bible. It speaks of resurrection. It's a psalm that's read at a lot of funerals. It's read at the cemetery oftentimes as you get to the end of Psalm 15. Right, where it talks about how death has been defeated. But in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 through 28, Paul alludes to this as well. And so I want to read that for us this morning. In verse 19, he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For As by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put into subjection, it is plain that he is expected who puts all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. Now there's also a passage in Hebrews that quotes this, and I want to read that real fast as well, and then we'll be closing this morning. But in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 through 9, the writer of Hebrews uses Psalm 8 also. In speaking of Christ, he says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. 
At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. See, we must admit that as we read this psalm, we know that while we have dominion over creation, we just simply do not have complete control of it. If you own a dog, you know this. Now maybe your dog is perfect. My dog is not. I have a dog I don't even want. If you want him, you can have him. But my dog threw up yesterday on my couch, which makes me hate him more. But it also shows me something. I do not have control of that dog. Because if I had control, it wouldn't have happened. I can try to control him. I can tell him to go to the bathroom outside. But when I set him outside, he decides if he goes to the bathroom outside, not me. I, I just can't simply control him. I would like to think I could, but I cannot. We, in our great uh, intelligence of mankind, have done a lot with creation to use it for our benefit. But we can see rather quickly how that can fall apart, how we just simply do not have the dominion we feel we should have. In fact, as we look at our world, we know it's hurting and it's full of problems all over the place. And if we had complete control, these wouldn't be an issue. This pro these problems wouldn't be happening. And so when we look at Psalm 8 and it says we have dominion over these things, we would then start to question, is the Bible real? Because I don't see this happening. I don't see me having true dominion over everything and man having control of this creation. So is the Bible wrong? Well, we see in the New Testament that the writers of the New Testament interpret Psalm 8 for us so that we can understand what's happening here. You see, Psalm 8 was pointing us to Jesus, to the man, the representative of man, who would have dominion over all, who would have control over all, because the Father would give everything, all enemies in subjection to him under his feet. You see, when the Bible speaks of man, we're often placed into two categories, and one of them is Adam, the first man. You see, the first man was created, and he was given dominion of what? Of all things, of the whole garden, and everything was perfect. But Adam saw a problem at some point in time and determined, this is not enough for me. And he wanted to be like God, and so he ate of the fruit, and sin entered the world, and as a result, ever since Adam we have not had dominion over creation as man. And human after human, creation after creation, you and I have been just like our father Adam, and what have we done? We have fallen short. We sin, and we know that in our life, and it's a problem. And so the problem that Adam had of sin and lost control, we find ourselves in that same situation. Adam being our father, us following in his lead as rebellious Little children unable to control creation as we were intended to do. Well, the argument that we see here in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15 and also in Hebrews is that what God has done is he has regained control through his son, Jesus. The true man. The man who came and didn't get sucked into the sin of this life. The, the man who came and lived a, a perfect, sinless life. There was no fault found in him 
There was, there was nothing wrong that he had ever done, but he had came with a purpose, and that purpose was to destroy the enemy that was talked about in Psalm 8. And actually was talked about in Genesis 3, that the seed will crush the enemy. That was speaking of Christ, and we see that here in Psalm 8 as well. And so Jesus would live this perfect life, but then he would take the chaos of this world of sin and, and death and destruction, and we saw this in his life, how he would calm storms, right? He had control of everything, but yet he would go to that last enemy of death, and he would conquer it. He would crush it. We see this in Hebrews, and that what I read in verses 8 and 9, this comes out. All things are subject to him. Why? Because death has been conquered. And how has it been conquered? It's been conquered because the perfect man died and he didn't deserve to die and so he rose again. And what Christ has done for us, and this is the beautiful thing of the gospel, is God has made a way through Christ for us to have Christ's life, for us to have Christ's perfection, for us to be given Christ's righteousness, for us one day to be able to Rule and reign with Christ. Not because of our own perfectness. We know that we don't have that, but because of his. And so the Bible tells us that by grace, through faith, we are in Christ. We believe in him. We, we trust in him. We put our life in him. And when that happens, when God saves us by his great grace, we then, along with David, can actually read Psalm 8. We can read Psalm 15 as Pastor Spencer read Psalm 15, and we can stand as a church family and declare it boldly because we know that it is true for us in Christ, not on Tim. Again, as I read Psalm 15 or I listen to Pastor Spencer, my, my head sinks. I can't do that stuff. I failed horribly in that this week. I read Psalm 8 and I think, oh Lord, how Lord, how majestic is your name. All the earth, you've given us dominion over your land. And I, I see all this and I think, not me. Not me. In fact, when I came in here this morning, it was hard for me to sing, oh, glory to God. I don't feel it. I don't feel like I've been experiencing it. Or maybe even for you, as I talked about all the, the food and all the trees and all the plants, maybe you and your stubbornness, because this is how I would be too, I would think, what is he rambling on about? Who cares? See, in all of our struggle inside of, of Tim, inside of me trying to praise God. It's, it's just not there. But as we read the truth of God's word and we see that it's Christ, it's Jesus who's fulfilled Psalm 15 for Tim. And he's declared me to be righteous. To say, Tim, actually, when you read Psalm 15, you've had a perfect week this week. What do you mean? Because you're in Christ and he is perfect. When I read Psalm 8 and I think, but God, this doesn't seem to be me. I don't know if I can come to the same conclusion as David. Is What is man that you are mindful of him? I, I still am asking that question. God declares to me, Tim, but you are in Christ. He has fulfilled this for you. You are mine. You can, you can voice how majestic is your name. You can worship me because you are doing it perfectly through Jesus. So again, if you're like me this morning, you come in here and what the devil does is he says, Tim, remember that sin you did Thursday? Tim, remember, remember the sin you did this morning? 
can remember how you acted this week, and, and I come in here and I'm ashamed, right? I, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to sh- shake people's hand and look them in the eye and say, oh, this week was good. I'm ashamed to have a conversation with them because in the back of my mind, what I'm thinking about is how bad Tim has been this week. See, that's what Satan tells us as Christians. That's what Satan tries to lie to us, to say, Tim, you know what? You know what the, the key is? You should do better this coming week, and then next week you can worship God. If you do better this coming week, Tim, then you'll be able to stand and declare how majestic is your name. So, Tim, just, just do better this week, and next Sunday's worship service will be awesome, I promise. See, that's a lie from Satan. As Christians, every Sunday when we gather together to worship, we can stand boldly and declare, Psalm 15 is my heart's cry. Psalm 8 is my heart's cry. Why? Because Christ has done it perfectly for me. And so today, Lord, I get to stand and say, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Your glory is so great, it's, it's above the heavens. Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? I don't have to sit there and think, I don't know. No, I know. You're mindful of me because I'm in Christ. And so all creation is mine. You've, you've, you've given me it to enjoy and to live in. And so I'm thankful that I get to do that. Why? Because I'm in Christ. And today I get to worship you, the creator, the one who created me, the one who saw me in my sin and in my filth and in my unrighteousness and, and declared upon me, but you are mine in my son, Jesus Christ. I don't know what makes you feel good. I'm sure I could guess it for some of you. There's different things in our life that make us feel good. I mentioned one of them earlier, food. That would be one of my things. There's something about food that just makes me feel good when at least it's, when it's good and enjoyable. Maybe for you it's a song that you hear or maybe it's seeing somebody that you haven't seen in a long time. One of the hardest things for me as a pastor and looking at all of you guys in the face is trying to hope that you realize how good you should feel knowing that you are a child of God and how much he loves you. I struggle with this in my life too, and so I'm not just putting it on you. But God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that you can worship him, so that you can know him, so that you can live your life in this world understanding that your guilt and your shame has been written off. It's gone. Because Christ has died in your place. The penalty that you deserve, he took for you. And so we now get to gather free, righteous, holy, praising our God who one day promises that his son will return and we will get to spend eternity with him with no more pain, no more suffering, no more tornadoes, no more flooding, no more hurricanes, no more death, no more destruction. No, but forever with him, in his glory, simply because he loved us. That's why. I hope that makes you feel like you feel when you take a bite of that, I don't know what it is for you, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, some of us love, or whatever it is. I hope that you can feel it. You see, I don't, I don't think I'm very good at getting people's feelings going, but this is the central truth that should get your feelings going. This is how much God loves you. He created all things for you and he sent his son to die for you so that you could be with him forever. That 
deserves us to praise him and to worship him. And we're going to get a chance to do that in a moment when we sing this last song. So let's bow together. Let's pray together. Then after I pray, they're going to come and lead us, like I said, in the final song. God, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for Psalm 8 and the truth of it. But God, we thank you for Jesus. God, I know that we live in a time now when we, we know that biblically you tell us that all things are in subjection to him and under his feet. But we know we live in a time where we see the enemy still raging on, battles still happening. And so God, I know that that can be confusing for many of us, but God, I, we look forward to the day when Christ would return, when it would be declared and over. There would be no more enemy when Satan himself would be cast into the lake of fire when we get to dine and sup with you for eternity, worshiping you. Your word tells us every tear wiped from our eye. No more hurt. God, until then, I pray that we would worship you here, that we would understand that we are yours. Oh, Lord, our Lord, the God of all, sovereign of all, ruler of all. God, help us as your children to worship you well to praise your name, to honor you. Yes, on Sunday mornings, which is very important, but also in our life. Pray that our, our family would know that we worship you, that we give to you all glory and honor. God, even in that, we will often fail, but help us to find our rest in Christ, knowing that he has done it. He gave you glory and honor perfectly all the way to death. And that now has been given to us and ascribed to us. And so, God, we praise you this morning. Help us to sing this last song and worship to you. I pray that we would respond to your word however we should. That we'd be faithful to that. I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our lives and in our hearts to grow us closer to you. God, be with us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.